following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. My name is Tim Pitzer. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries. Uh, if you've been worshiping with us for a little while, you know that we've been going through a series called I Believe on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, for what Bill mentioned in light of Palm Sunday and then Easter, we're going to be uh, just kind of leaving that for two weeks and looking at some other texts. So this morning, if you would... Turn in your Bibles with me, or if it's on the screen behind me, to Psalm 29 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Psalm 29, uh, going through the whole chapter, just 11 verses. Hear the word of the Lord to you today. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon a skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. And the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people, and may the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Father, we pray now in the few minutes that we have to open up your word. God, that it would stand apart from all the other voices of cultures, of our own. God, and above all, that, that we would give you glory through being changed by your word. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this past week, I had the privilege of uh, attending something called the Gospel Coalition. It's a, a conference, blog, website, kind of whole uh, organization that uh, is, is exactly how it sounds, bring the gospel and, and has these seminars. So I attended this with uh, Bill was there, Andrew Shank, and several other men from our church, uh, and it really was amazing, worshiping with 8,000 other people, hearing the gospel, hearing guys like Tim Keller, John Piper, um, which, side note, makes me very insecure to preach after listening to those guys, to be honest, but it was this amazing time, amazing conference, but by Wednesday afternoon, when we were getting ready to go home, I was completely exhausted, the good kind of exhausted, but I was exhausted. Like, I, I told Andrew to treat me like his three-year-old daughter that, you know, might forget his or her bag on the plane. I said, I'm just, I can't even think right now. And one of the things that was true about our travel plans is that we had to, we had to first get a cab from the hotel to Indianapolis and then fly from Indianapolis to New York, have a layover, fly from New York to Jacksonville at about midnight, and then drive from Jacksonville to Hilton Head. And I remember thinking, yeah, I know you all know it. I remember thinking, how are we going to stay awake at, at this time? And what's even worse is that when we're in New York, for some reason, we got delayed because there was weather and the, the pilot needed new travel plans. But for some reason, I don't know how they didn't catch this, they said they overfilled the plane with fuel. So they either had to take six passengers and their luggage off, which would take, they said, like an hour and a half to two hours, or they had a taxi around the, the runway burning fuel so that we were at the proper weight to take off. 
So we were two hours after our normal takeoff time, so we landed in Jacksonville at 1 a.m. and had plans to drive from Jacksonville to Hilton Head, arriving at probably about 3.30. I just remember thinking, we're not going to make this. How are we going to do this? How are we going to stay awake? Well, as many of you know, if you were in town Wednesday night, there were these massive storm systems that were coming through. It, it was incredible, just buckets of rain. You couldn't see six inches in front of you. Tornado warnings, hail, I mean, you name it, it was in this storm system. It was unbelievable. At one point when uh, we were driving and just this lightning uh, is like all around us, Andrew Shank was like, this is so cool. And I just remember thinking, we're going to die. <laughs> what are you talking My handprints are still in his dashboard um, from that. But you know what we realized at about 2 o'clock that morning driving? We weren't worried about staying awake any longer. It just wasn't an option. I remember thinking, wow, something that I had such a concern about is just totally irrelevant. And then I thought about my sermon, and I was convicted. Because you know what? This, this text looks at the glory of God and how it's compared to a storm. And I remember thinking, if the glory and the presence of God is similar to this storm, how is it that I can do nothing else but marvel at this power? How is it that I, I sometimes worry about falling asleep or get bored when thinking about the glory of God. If this is what it's compared to, I'm a fool. And after this storm came through, I just remember thinking about this text and how David traces this through, that progression of how to rightly think about the glory of God and how it changes us. So if you're an outline person uh, this morning, you're in luck because I have three points. I always do three points so I won't get lost. First, that God alone is worthy of glory. And then the second is that because of this, we can listen to his voice. And lastly, we can have peace with God. God alone is worthy of glory, so we can listen to his voice and have peace with God. The first one, God alone is worthy of glory. Look with me just the first two verses. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, and worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. You may recognize these first two verses. A lot of times in a worship service, these are used as sort of a call to worship, a call to attention to, to start thinking about and dwelling on the glory of God. And I love that David begins this psalm and that he says, before you can hear the voice of the Lord, before you can think about having peace with this God, you first have to look and say, who gets glory? What, what is this God worthy of? And Naturally, who doesn't get glory? And David is saying, ascribe to the Lord, and he says, heavenly beings. So he's saying, in order to properly worship this God, it's not just enough that we as people would give glory to God and worship him, but everything in heaven and on earth and all of creation must give glory to God. That is our posture that we are to have this morning in this text. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, Israel is saying this in contrast to something else. He's saying this in contrast to, to, to worshiping Baal, and he's saying, you're misdirecting God's glory. You're misunderstanding what's going on. You've got to attribute it to God alone. As I was thinking about this, I think that we misdirect this in, in two big ways. I'm sure there are others, but two big ways for us. The first is that we misdirect God's glory, and we want to direct it to us, right? We, we want to put it on us. And then the second is that we want to put it on others and other things, making idols, First, that we want to give it on us. We want to say, ascribe to me the glory due my name, instead of ascribe to the Lord. Author and pastor Paul Tripp 
uh, phrases that I, I think brilliantly of, of what it exactly is that we're doing here. He says that we are glory thieves, that we know glory is due to God alone, but we want to take it and put it on us. We want the attention. We want the recognition. We want the glory and strength attributed to our name. This past summer, uh, my wife and I really enjoyed watching the Summer Olympics, like I'm sure many of you. And it's an amazing thing. You watch these athletes who just train their whole lives, some, some of them just for like one Olympics that they've had their sights on for 15 or 20 years. And when they do well and they win medals and you see them on the podium and they're standing there and their national anthem is playing, and you just see this, this look in their eye of just full and complete peace and, and, and you can't even describe it. You know what started to sink in with me when I was watching that this past summer? Why it is that so many athletes don't want to retire? Or even more so, why it is that so many athletes retire and then decide to come back? I mean, if you're like me, sometimes you're, you're watching athletes uh, you know, win these games, guys like Michael Phelps and uh, guys like Lance Armstrong, who really should have actually stayed retired for many reasons. Um, but you're watching these guys and you think, okay, th- this is great. Just, just leave it here, buddy. Just leave this game, you know, everything's going well, you're leaving on a high note, just walk away. We have to ask ourselves, why do so many of them not? And this isn't true of all of them, but what I think it is, is that when you spend your life trying to obtain the glory that is due only to God, you realize that you're never going to get there. And you find yourself wanting to come back and back again and again to those moments that you think you had it. Those moments that you think, this is how I was really meant to live and be created. And in reality, you're going to constantly fall short. Because the glory that is due to only God alone, we are not able to handle that glory. We can't handle that glory. It doesn't make sense. You see, I think, if we're honest, I've never been, I've never won a medal in the Olympics. I'm sure, um, I'm assuming many of you haven't, none of you have. But I think if we're honest, You don't need to actually be at that level of fame in order for this to also be true of us. In fact, if I'm honest with you this morning, on a daily basis, I'm tempted to take the glory that is due to God alone and put it on myself. I know my theology tells me this is due to God alone, this glory. But what I do is say, God, I'm going to give you this, but let me just kind of entertain for a few minutes as if it was my doing, as if I'm the one that gets that glory. You ever catch yourself saying this? Let me pause here and ascribe to me the glory due my name. But I think the second way, here's how we misdirect God's glory, is that uh, we, we, we put it on to other things, other people uh, called idols or false gods. This is what David was constantly working through and trying to get the Israelites to see that they're misdirecting this glory, uh, not just to themselves, but to other things that don't share that glory. And we do this. We don't do this with Baal. I guess I'm assuming that none of you have struggled with worshiping Baal in the last week. But we have many false gods. It's an endless list, but some obviously are success, money, relationships, respect. It can be our kids. I mean, it's an endless list of things that we are tempted to to put in place of God and say, this is my God. In fact, we don't say that because we know enough not to say that, but in practice, we act as if this is true. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, if you haven't read this book, I highly recommend it on this topic of idols and, and, uh, and counterfeit gods. He says this, our hearts are idol-making factories that make good gifts from God ultimate in our lives. 
thereby replacing God in our affections. Ouch. And then he says this. This is an idol. This is how he defines it. It says, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. I'm going to read that again so it really sinks in. He says, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give what only God can give. I thought of this. This past, past October, like many of you, I was driving home from Columbia from the uh, Hurricane Matthew evacuation. And I, I was anxious to, to help others who knew that trees fell on their houses, that their houses uh, flooded. I went and bought a chainsaw in Columbia that I had no idea how to use. I still don't. And I drove through, and my, my anticipation, my decision was I was going to drop off my stuff uh, at home and then, I mean, I, I even wrote a list of people that I had just heard of in the last couple of days that knew, hey, my house is flooded, I need help, or trees are on it, um, you know, need a lot, of, a lot of help. And so I walk in, and immediately I smell that water musty smell. And I thought, it happened to me. You've got to be kidding me. I walk in, and I see that, uh, for a lot of you who experience this, that 12-inch like, water line all around the house, the evidence of the flood. I walk in the bedrooms where we have all the carpet, and I step in, and three inches of water just kind of comes over my feet. And you know what I realized going through this I, throughout the next few months? I realized that I have a very strong, alive idol, and it's that I am perceived as being able to have a stable and secure home. What God was working for me is that th- this is my idol, and I'll never forget when this kind of came to its full fruition of my realizing it. I'm at my house about three days later, and three of my awesome students are on their knees, uh, like, ripping out drywall, just kind of cutting, pulling out wet insulation. And I had a flashback to about two months before when we're on a mission trip, and they're doing similar home repair for people who are in need. And you know what I realized? I'm okay with saying someone else needs this kind of help. I'm not okay with saying that I need it. Suddenly I realized the pride, the the idolatry that sank in of, look at me, I can have a house. For some odd reason, a bank decided to loan me this amount of money, and I have a house. And and what started sinking in, and if you you saw me at all, I don't think, I tried to kind of hide it some, but for the next like two months in church, anytime we sang together, a lot of times during the preaching, I, I just started tearing up. And at first I thought, okay, I'm just tired, like this is because of emotions, we're living in, in another house, and we're due with a baby in a month. You know, there must just be all those other things. And what I started to realize is that this is because I had an idol, and it's been exposed. See, because here's the thing. Here's what I tried to mask it behind. And this is the danger with these idols, because th- none of the things that I said were things like pornography or drugs. Everything I mentioned are good things that God gave us, even to expand his kingdom and give glory to God. So here's, here's what the reality was. If my only concern was putting a roof over my head for my family, I would have had no reason to be upset past day one. I had, I had people in my house the next two months that I had never even met. I mean, it looked like, honestly, it looked like a set from Extreme Home Makeover. Just the next two months, neighbors, in and out, people I had never heard of, helping me rip out my kitchen, doing all these things. I was taken care of. And in fact, many of you know, because you offered, we had like five or ten offers of people to to allow us to stay with them. 
I couldn't claim that I was so upset just simply because I was worried about my family. I had to surrender it as an idol. It went deeper than that. So I don't know what yours is this morning. But here's a test question. And, and I don't take this lightly because I did this first myself and I realize this is hard. If I were to say, if you woke up tomorrow morning and could have any decision, anything happen that would make your life okay, what would that be? Tomorrow morning, if you could wake up to any kind of text message, email, phone call, what is, it, what is the one thing that could happen that you would just say, because that happened, everything is going to be okay? You know what it was for me? It was that I would wake up every morning and have a normal house. Nothing would change. My kid's normal. I started thinking, what a boring life, huh? <laughs> that, that I wake up and, and nothing changes but by God doing this and exposing this idol, what he allowed, and this is part of why I was so overwhelmed with emotion, is he showed me what it means to have the body of Christ just surround me with love and support and say, we care for you. That's what it allowed me to do. So for you, I don't know what it is, but here's the reality. And folks, I'm preaching to myself here. If that decision is anything other than seeing more of the glory of God, it's sneaking into your life as an idol. It doesn't mean that a lot of these things like, like status and success are bad, but when we sneak them in and all of a sudden in our hearts there's a switch going on. As believers and Christians, we want to see the glory of God. We, want, we so desperately want to be with the Lord and think more about his presence. But along the way, we take these things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but when we as sinners get our hands on them, we change them. That's what I was convicted of. And in this psalm, that's what David says. You've got to recognize this verse if that's what you're doing. So after he says this, he says, once you recognize where the glory goes, you can listen to his voice. And I realize that this is like really vague, right? Listen to the voice of God. Uh, I admit I struggled with this text when I was looking through, reading that there. It's in there eight times of uh, the voice of the Lord. And what I found is that this uh, you know, th this passage not only traces a storm, but verses 3 through 10, wh what it's doing is it's tracing it as it storms in that area went over the Mediterranean Sea, and then in verses 5 and 6, it says it went through Lebanon, the wilderness of Kadesh. It started making landfall, and then inevitably what happens, and what we all saw Wednesday and Thursday with those storms, is that it floods, right? There's, there's the leftover uh, evidence of it everywhere. And when I started discovering this passage, that this is contrasting two different things. So what was known in Israel at this time is that the Canaanites worshipped Baal. And what, what they started to do is they attributed things like storms and rain and lightning and thunder completely to Baal. And David knew that. So when David says the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord over and over again, he's saying, this is your God. At his mere voice, all of creation bows in submission to him. At his mere voice, the rains come, the thunder comes. This storm is a reflection of the power and glory of God alone and not Baal. So why aren't you listening to his voice? This is meant to expose the stupidity of attributing power to Baal when it goes to God alone. I mean, listen to this language. It says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. It's full of majesty. It breaks. It flashes. It shakes. It makes the deer give birth. Last time I checked, those idols that I just mentioned, none of those can do that. 
I mean, this is a contrast of the difference of the glory of God sitting at the right hand of God the Father in Christ Jesus and the, the little idols of our hearts that we create. And so the question to Israel and the question for us is what can your gods do? What can your idols do? Because you have to recognize them and then hold them up and say, if this is the true king on his throne and this is the imposter, how are they different? So thought of this, I, and I have to apologize. I used this movie a year ago when I first preached, and I know I've had a year to think of a different movie, but I didn't. So I'm just going to use this one. Anyway, it's a different illustration. It's a different part of the movie, but same movie. So once again, The Avengers. If you didn't see it a year ago, I told you to see it. So really go back and see it. I, I promise, honestly, I think there was some, one of the writers must have been a Christian and is sneaking all these little gospel pictures in that none of his friends know about, but he snuck it in for us. So anyway, in this movie, uh, there's a scene where uh, Loki, who's like the god of mischief or something, and the Hulk are fighting. And the Hulk is kind of pushing him around and messing with him, and, and Loki just throws down his arms and says, Enough! I am a god. And the Hulk grabs him just with one hand and starts throwing him down, like left and right. I mean, like he's a toy. And then with one final throw, he, he smashes him in the ground, and, and Loki sinks in like three feet into the cement ground. And the Hulk says, puny god, as he walks away. Do you know why I love this part of this movie? It's because it's with that exact same passion, that exact same truth, that we look to these idols, these false gods that we're lying on, grab them and say, puny God, you're nothing compared to the one and true living God. Your promises are nothing. You don't have the power to, to come in creation and make deers give birth. You don't rival the power of this thunderstorm that I'm in, this lightning. You're nothing. You know what you are is an imposter to the throne. And so in the middle of this, with listening to the voice of the Lord, we have to look at our idols. We have to look at the other things that are taking captive our hearts and say, puny God, you're an imposter. You are not the real king of glory because they sneak in there so easily. And then with that, you have to ask yourself, am I listening to this voice? One of the things about Loki throughout this movie is he's, he's the God of mischief. Uh, a lot of times he, he twists and turns truth when he talks to people. He's a trickster. He's clever. He's not your typical villain that's just all power and rage. He knows that if he can just start talking to someone, he can distort truth. And that's the same thing that happens to us. These good things that God give us, they distort truth. They say, I'm not a thing to build the kingdom of God on. I'm the ultimate thing. I'm really what you want. I'm what's going to satisfy you. One of the things I constantly try to do as a youth pastor, that I, I hope it comes across to my students, is I ask them, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of culture? Are you listening to your peers? Or maybe your own head that are telling you lies? Or are you listening to the voice of the Lord in this passage who is the true king and resting in his promises? And then lastly, third point, peace with God. See, there's a natural progression throughout this text. That first, when you recognize the glory of God, okay, God is worthy of all glory. And second, you start hearing his voice, and you see how it's compared to a storm, and you think this voice is powerful. The, the natural uh, conclusion is to ask, well, where do I stand with this great God? You see, you know why I was scared Wednesday night in those storms? I started thinking about this. 
It's because those storms, the lightning, the hail, the tornado warnings, none of them had a preference on my well-being. None of them cared whether or not I actually made it home to Hilton Head. They were powerful, but they didn't care. Listen to what your God thinks of you, who is both powerful and good and cares. From Romans 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's your God. That's how different he is compared to everything else that sneaks into our lives. Even more so than that, and this, this is drastically different, we have unity in Christ. Christ who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now, you are in Christ. See, I think that a lot of us think that when we get to heaven, you're going to give God the Father your name, and it's Tim Pitzer, and he's going to be looking through his notes and, and trying to check on you. It's not going to be like that. You're going to say, I don't know if you'll say your name, but you're going to get in front of his presence. He's going to look to Christ and say, oh, I know who you are. You're my child. Because I look to Christ and I see the full righteousness of Christ in you because you are in him. You are protected completely. I want to conclude, and it was just so cool singing this with 8,000 other people. There's a hymn that has a new meaning to me in light of this text that David wrote. Hear the words, it says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I'm going to say something that's going to shock you, I bet, but I think it's really true. I get really tired of having to have faith in the Christian life. I do. I get really tired that it takes a, a, a storm on a Wednesday night scaring the daylights out of me to remind me that the glory of the Lord and his presence isn't boring. And I long for the day when my faith is my eyes, when my faith is no longer necessary. You do realize that your faith, it has an expiration date. That's, that's not going to be with you in eternity. And one day when you face God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you won't have to pray, Holy Spirit, give me faith. I'm struggling. I'm not really sure if God is real. Open your eyes. There is the full Godhead of the Trinity right in front of you. I long for that day. And I sense sometimes that I think Christians are scared to say that. Well, don't be. Don't be scared to say, this is hard. Recognizing and constantly seeing the throne of God, thinking about his glory, that is hard to do because we are down here. And look forward to that day. In closing, I'm going to confess something, something I've struggled with off and on throughout my Christian life is an assurance of salvation. Just be honest, I've, I've struggled with it. And I remember, I'll never forget one time in seminary, uh, I went out for lunch with one of my professors. He's, uh, he's asking me about my story and everything. A lot of you guys know um, uh, some of the things I've gone with my dad and um, just with my some of my family walking away from the faith. And I'm sharing this and how it's related to my testimony and then I, I tell him that I've just really struggled to kind of have that assurance of salvation. 
that so many Christians talk about. And he looked at me and he said, Tim, I know why. I said, okay, I'm ready. Tell me why. And he said, you're looking to your faith what only Christ can give. He said, when you struggle with it, you're looking to, to bring something out of your faith that it was never designed to do. He said, your faith is weak. It's prone to wander. You look to Christ and his shed blood and fear no more. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are far from doing this perfectly. God, we long for the day when we can see you in the fullness of your glory as Christ our King, and that we no longer will need our faith. God, it will be as real as anything right in front of us. God, in the meantime, while we're here, we pray for strength as we walk through the Christian life together. We, we pray that in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of of being tempted to surrender our hearts to other idols and false gods, God, that you would shine brighter and bigger than any of those other impostors of the throne. God, this is our prayer. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.